Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 571 with Dr. Ivan Joseph. If you've been feeling a little extra self-doubt these days, that's pretty common. Dr. Ivan is bringing the goods to help you build unshakable self-confidence, whether for the first time or bringing it back. So you'll learn one, the fundamental building block of self-confidence, two, how to control the negative tape in your head, and three, a powerful trick for overcoming imposter syndrome. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find them on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep, that's EP571. Now here is Ivan's story. Dr. Ivan Joseph is an award-winning performance coach, sports psychologist, author, and recognized educator and mentor. His TEDx talk on self-confidence with over 18 million views to date has been selected by Forbes magazine as one of the 10 best TED Talks about the meaning of life. Dr. Joseph travels extensively around the world to speak to organizations and teams about the power of self-confidence in leadership, career, sports, and life, and how to build high-performing teams that exceed expectations. So thanks to Ivan for taking some time to chat with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Ivan. Ivan, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. I appreciate it. Looking forward to this conversation. Oh, I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. And, and I, I have to chuckle a little bit. So your book is called You Got This, Mastering the Skill of Self-Confidence. And I couldn't resist sharing that my mother really hates the phrase, you got this. And I want to hear if you've heard that before. Ah, uh, yes, indeed. Tell in me. fact, I'm looking behind you in your bookshelf to see if you have it, and I don't see it oh, back there. So uh, guilty I, clearly, your mother has won the day. Well, I've clicked in depth on the, your uh, digital version, so <laughs> I know I'll, I'll tell you my mom's take. But what are you hearing in terms of the pushback on the title? You know, there's uh, two things. People say it's really catchy and they love it. It's easy and it's a good affirmation for themselves. Uh-huh. And then some folks say, oh, man, I wish it wasn't so contemporary and so pop culture-ish. Oh, pop culture-ish. <laughs> well, I kind of like it. You know, I think the first time I heard the phrase was in a movie or something. And I was like, ooh, yeah, that resonates. But um, I think my mom, it's the specific context in which someone's on social media. They're sharing like a real challenge, like uh, someone has cancer or something. 
And then people comment, you got this. My yeah. mom's like, that is so inadequate. What they're going through deserves so much more <laughs> than a flippant. Yeah, that's kind of her thing. So when we were writing the book, we were vacillating back between you got this and the skill of self-confidence. You uh-huh. got this, the skill of self-confidence. If I had to do it again, I'd probably stick with the skill of self-confidence. And so that is your area of expertise. I'm really excited to dig into it. So self-confidence sounds like a good thing. We'd all love to have it. Could you maybe share some research that reveals how more self-confidence can really translate into actual results for professionals, particularly if you got those examples, as opposed to just feeling good? I mean, it'd be nice to feel confident, but what does it mean in terms of results and victory? Well, I think the first thing you have to recognize is let's start with the definition of self-confidence. So everybody's playing and starting at the same place. And so the definition I use in the research is this genuine belief in your ability to accomplish the task at hand, self-confidence, mm-hmm. right? And, and I want everybody to know it's, this not, it's not this magic pill that you just take and you can swallow and you can just, oh, I'm also all of a sudden self-confident. But, you know, the research that started looking at this goes way back uh, to some foundational work that talked about optim- optimism and happiness. But the big one that I, that, that I started that got me in this trait um, in this venue was looking and reading about um, Angela Duckworth and grit. Mm -hmm. And she was studying grit, which is the belief in your ability to to accomplish tasks despite setbacks. And she was looking at how people, um, what they told themselves, how they believed in themselves, how that really influenced their ability ability to move forward. And she studied a bunch of uh, military personnel. It was um, Beast Barracks Week um, during um, West Point Military Academy. And, you know, the military academy, they're really interested in how do people decide that um, we should make it through, um, you know, candidate training school because it's held. They don't get to sleep. They don't get to eat. They're, they're, there's noise pollution, all these things because they're testing those candidates to make them ready. And so they did a aptitude test. They did physical testing. They did um, all these leadership scores. They did a battery of tests. And when they looked at these tests, they were somewhat predictive, predictive of who would be successful. but when Angela Duckworth came with these 13 items um, to, to predict grit and resilience, she found those 13 items more reliable than those hundreds of questions combined. And then when I read that, I'm like, whoa, grit is a reliable predictor of performance and your ability to succeed. And when I started really looking, looking into grit, I, I studied just the first half of it, which was this genuine belief in your ability to accomplish the task at hand. Mm-hmm. And then there was further research that went into how affirmations played a role in that, how self-talk, which is another word for self-talk, how focus played a role in that, how repetition played a role in that. The research is out there and it's, and it's all saying the same thing. But you can't start with talent. You mm-hmm. have to start with this belief in your ability, and only then will the talent get a moment to shine. It's intriguing. You talk about a given task at hand in terms of self-confidence, then I imagine you may very well have self-confidence in one domain and not at all in another, because those are very different tasks, and some you think you've got totally covered, and others you feel woefully um, unprepared for. Is that accurate? Uh, this is really accurate. Your concept about, you know, is it global? I want you to think about the first time you have your first job right? You've got it. You've mastered that skill. And all of a sudden your boss comes in and says, here's your promotion and you're ready to roll. Mm -hmm. And imagine the doubt and the fear. We all hear about it. Imposter syndrome that now starts to creep in. 
you were master of your domain. You had it. You had it taken care of. You were the you were the queen of your ship or the king of your castle, whatever it is, the term you want to use. And all of a sudden now you've got to manage people or you've got to lead this presentation. And because these tasks are typically novel to you and you haven't had the affirmations and the feedback that says you've got this to coin a phrase from the book, mm -hmm. then that whole self spiraling doubt and negativity starts to spiral into you, which affects your performance. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Well, so then if we find ourselves in a space where we're not so self-confident and we would like to be, what do we do? Uh, that's a great question. And, and um, I always tell people this story. It's, um, you know, you heard me earlier in the podcast talk about this magic button uh, bullet. When I, when I give a speech about this topic, I say it's not like Celine Dion, um, you're at the Las Vegas and Celine Dion is on stage and I'm Canadian, so I'm going to pick Celine Dion and mm -hmm. she gets food poisoning and all of a sudden the manager comes in and says, um, ladies and gentlemen, we can no longer close out the show. Uh, Celine Dion can't sing her amazing closing song because she's sick. And you stand up, Pete, and you say, yeah, I, I got this. I've watched Titanic a hundred times. Mm -hmm. It, you know, that's not really confidence. That's somewhere on the edge of delusional, I'll say. When I talk about confidence, the task can't be novel to you. So there's a series of steps to really move towards confidence. And the first one is repetition, repetition, repetition. Uh, Gladwell talks about it as a 10,000-hour rule. Um, whatever it is for you to have confidence in, and genuine belief in your ability. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about it for some folks and some listeners out there about the first time you drove stick shift. Do you drive stick, Pete? I tried a couple times and then I stopped. <laughs> it didn't right? go very well. <laughs> you know, the first time you drive stick on a hill with a car behind you, oh my God, your heart is racing mm -hmm. 100 miles an hour. By the time you've driven stick for a year later, a year and a half later, whatever it is, that skill is so automatic. And so the number one thing is like find a way to get to your practice, to your repetition. And if, if you're a leader and you're speak and you're getting ready to present, present in front of the mirror, mm -hmm. present in front of your partner, present in front of a small group of friends, get the feedback. So by the time you've got onto that big stage, you're no longer scared. Yeah. So that would be the first step. Certainly. After you get to repetition, for me, the next thing to do is really to really control that negative tape that plays in your head. You know that tape, I, I wish I was this, I hate myself in this, look, oh, I can't do this job. As a, as, a, as a sports psychologist and a performance enhancement consultant, I work with a lot of athletes. I've been lucky enough to work with Olympians and NBA athletes and the national team of, of, of basketball for Canada. And we do a lot of what we call centering or thought stopping. Next time you're watching a professional athlete, watch the different physical cues that they'll use, pointing, clapping, finger snapping. Whenever they make a mistake, they don't dwell on the mistake. The phrase we use is live in the moment or be in the presence, mm -hmm. right? And what that is about is about being in, in the moment, meaning forget about the mistake. Stop that negative talk, whatever that negative doubt is. Use a physical cue to bring you to the present and replace it with a positive talk, whatever that might be. You got this. I got the next one. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. The power of affirmations is really critical. That's intriguing. So are you telling us that uh, frequently would we observe such physical, you know, snaps, claps, et cetera, from athletes? This is exactly what they're doing? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I guarantee it. I remember one time, the first time I noticed it uh, many years ago into my dissertation, there was a famous soccer player by the name of Thierry Henry. 
And this is a guy making millions of pounds a year. And he missed a wide open um, goal, right? And all he did was point back to the person that passed him the ball and said, nice job. I got the next one. And you could read it on his lips and see it on TV. Um, you don't get to be excellent by focusing on all the mistakes and all the inadequacies that you have. Mm-hmm. Okay, excellent. Well, so then I like that notion of the physical gesture to kind of just make it really clear, you know, hey, we're stopping that now and we're transitioning to something else. So snaps, claps, what are some other good ones? You'll see some athletes that will take a little rubber band and move it from one wrist to the other. Sometimes they'll, they'll snap it. You'll see some folks that will jingle some coins. Watch the next time you'll see um, um, an athlete just take a deep breath in and that reminds them, okay, I got this. I remember the one time, um, the very first time I was doing a big speech. Now I, you know, I'd spoken before, but you get paid in a bottle of wine or, or like a coffee mug. But the very first time I was on stage and I was, you know, 4,000 people. And the night before Maya Angelou was on stage and we were on, you know, we were like, this was the big deal. I was, I was, I was about to be big time, mm -hmm. at least as big as, you know, C-level celebrities are, or mm -hmm. maybe E or G or whatever the number is. But I was so nervous. I, behind the stage, I had to clap, clap, clap. You got this. You got this. You got this. I had to physically remind myself that I was good at what I do. Mm -hmm. And that was really critical for me to be able to get on stage and speak in front of 4,000 people. Okay, excellent. So, well, then what's next? So we got the physical indicator or anchor and then uh, shift in gears from the negative to the positive talk. What's the next step? Well, I want to make, remind folks that the affirmations must be really simple and bite-sized, right? I, mine is, I got this, nobody outworks me, and I can learn anything. And, you know, you asked me about research before. I want to, I want to turn your readers to a Lubomowski study from Harvard um, that talked about how three affirmations a day, if you're in the problem-solving um, world, increased your efficiency to solve that problem, something like 26%. Okay. And if you were in the sales marketing world, your revenue went up 30 some odd percent by using three affirmations a day. And that's that, like how, how you tell what you tell yourself, you start to believe and how it translated directly to the output of your work, your production, your, your ability to solve complex problems. And so that affirmation and that self-talk moves right into that next thing, which is reminding yourself of how good you are. Oh, yes. Well, this affirmation stuff, that's juicy. I love a good study with some numbers behind it. So we had Hal Elrod, who talked about the six morning habits of high performers. He brought the miracle morning and such on the show earlier. And he gave some great distinctions associated with what makes an affirmation good versus delusional and problematic. So I'd love to hear your take. So from the research, what are some of the ingredients or do's and don'ts for a positive affirmation? What I'm recalling, I think Hal used the example of Money flows effortlessly to me. I am a magnet for wealth is not so helpful because your brain goes, no, it doesn't. I've got to hustle and bend over backwards to make things happen. It's so can you give us some pro tips on making those affirmations yeah. effective? I think it's a great question. And one of the things I recognized early on is in order to have an affirmation be meaningful and have genuine belief, you have to have genuine control over it. And so that locus of control for an affirmation is really important and critical. Nobody outworks me. So I can control that. I can learn anything. I can control that too, right? And so when you listen to those things, are they within your circle of influence? You know, I'm the wealthiest guy in the world. I mean, maybe if I was reading The Secret and I wanted to put that out there and I wanted to start putting it out there. But the, the, 
the, the magic for me as a sports psychologist is to always give agency to the people to control their affirmation. So it has to be something that you can master and you can own. Mm-hmm. Okay, lovely. Well, then proceed. So that's the affirmation side of things. What's next? So then from there, you know, I talked about a letter to yourself. And I think this is really an important piece. Um, when we, we all will feel self-doubt or it will creep into us when we get a promotion, when we get a new opportunity, or when somebody will criticize us or, or be really hard on us. And you have to be able to pull out a letter that you've written to yourself at good times. I remember when I became the director of athletics at Ryerson University. This is a university of, of 40,000 people. I came from Iowa, a university of 1,000 people. Oh my goodness! I'm in charge of millions of dollars. Um, I have to I have to manage people, and I remember that whole imposter syndrome kicking in. And I read this letter to myself, and my letter goes something like this: Dear Ivan, thanks for choosing the right person to marry. Right, mm-hmm. what nice job on accomplishing your PhD before your you hit forty. You've launched a business with an amazing partner. Uh, all these things I wanted to brag to myself. It was my own personal brag sheet. To remind myself when I was going in the dumps and going this way, no, no, no. Let's remember all these things and all these challenges that you've had. And I pull it out and I needed to read that day in, day out, day in, day out. Yeah. Now, a lot of folks out there will say, well, a brag sheet, what do I like? That's ego, man. And I want people to recognize this is not a letter to others. That is arrogance, right? This is a letter that you're writing to yourself. And so people like, well, how do you define confidence over arrogance and ego? That's it. Confidence is what you tell yourself. Arrogance and ego is about what you're telling others about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to take this letter, look in yourself in the mirror, take your quiet spot and engage in this personal um, reminder of all of the amazing things you've done. You know, I really like that. You had it in a letter. I have it well, on my shelf. There is a black mead spiral notebook. I haven't looked at it lately, which might be good or I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I, I haven't needed it or felt the need, but um, that's it, Pete, right? <laughs> when you get to that next phase, wherever your career or your yeah. life will take you when you'll need it, mm-hmm. you know where to get it. You found it. That's true. That's so handy. And I think I borrowed this from maybe Tony Robbins who talked about if you have a belief I still see this diagram in my head. I read this when I was a teenager. It's like, if you have a belief, you need to have some supporting legs, like a table for your brain to be like, yeah, okay, that's true. And so I think I was feeling, this was in college, I was feeling kind of like a loser because, you know, in high school, I was just like, I was kind of the man, if you will, in terms of, oh, I'm a valedictorian and homecoming king. And, you know, I was getting lots of praises and affirmations in all kinds of directions. And then in college, I was like rejected from the sketch comedy team and the business consulting group and the other business club. And then the other, I was like, what is wrong? And so I was feeling pretty down about my capabilities. And then I just sort of thought, well, hey, maybe I'll just make a list of reasons why the belief that I'm, you know, capable of rocking and rolling is true. And it's like, holy smokes, this is a pretty long list. Okay, I guess I've just had a bad luck streak. And um, I'm going to you know, keep trying. And sure enough, I found some clubs that would take me. <laughs> and, and I, it goes a good college career. I love career. what you're saying because you're doing what we call as self-confident people interpret feedback differently. Mm. And what you're able to do right now is I guess I had a bad streak. After using some skills, instead of like, my God, I'm a loser. No, no, I, I'll, nobody, I'll never do any good. I'll no, and then you start to dig yourself what we call lowering a snake's belly in a wagon rut. 
right? <laughs> you interpreted that those failures differently. Yeah. That is so key. How we interpret setbacks really sets us apart. Oh, well, thank you. And it's funny, and it wasn't immediate. I'd say uh, there was definitely, uh, I don't know what the time period was, you know, some weeks or so of just like, ooh, I suck. But uh, eventually, you know, that turned around. So well, now let's talk about right now, as we're recording, the coronavirus is a hot topic everywhere on the news, etc. And I've been chatting with a few people who have, you know, admitted to really experiencing a, a healthy dose of depression, anxiety, mental health challenges that, um, you know, is not so typical for them in under normal circumstances. But hey, you know, not getting out, not seeing people, not being as easy to get to the gym or all these sort of rituals, habits, routines, healthy, good things they got going on are disrupted and they're now kind of reaping what they've had to. So, hey, help us here. If listeners are experiencing this right now, how might we apply some of these tools to, you know, help shorten the time in the funk? Well, it's a, it's a great question again, right? And so one of the things you recognize is that we know that thoughts influence our beliefs, which influence our actions. And so when you're in a funky space, you know that's, that's, that's your thinking. And then it, it's influencing your beliefs and then how you get to the action part. And so one of the things that's really important is in this whole world that we're using the term social distancing. And the psychologist in me says, I don't know if that's the right term that we should be thinking about. I think the term should be physical distancing. Hmm. And we should be engaging with the people that are important to us who add value to us. You know, a lot of times when I talk about, um, you know, building self-confidence, I talk about getting away from the people who will tear you down which is the negative people, the people who are giving you negative feedback versus critical feedback. But I think the opposite is also true, which is get, which means get close to the people who will build you up. Mm -hmm. And so you know who you are and who those people are, and you can know and you can see what are the tells that are telling you you're going off and you're going into a place. And you need to pay attention to your physical tells that say you're getting to a point of stress. And then you need to put yourself in a place where you can connect with those people. And in today's world, it's going to have to be virtual. Mm -hmm. But with Zoom, with, with, with Microsoft Teams, with FaceTime, with Google Hangouts, there's a way to infuse yourself and your, and your relationships with positivity to help build you up and to help pass you through these, um, t these troubling times. Mm -hmm. When we say we're all in this together, nobody does it alone. And sometimes we're so proud and we're so um, afraid to share our vulnerabilities. That's not what confidence or high performance life is all about. It's about recognizing that we are in this together. Okay, that's good. Now, you mentioned physical stress tells. Please flag them right up front. So some listeners might be like, ah, that's been going on. <laughs> you think about it, right? It, we don't recognize, you know, we need to always talk about stress. Stress is two, there's two types of stress. There's distress and there's eustress. Eustress is the positive pieces that raise our levels and help us perform better. And distress is the one that overwhelms us. How we react to that stress overwhelms us. I remember when I was first leading, um, I, a stressor for me that I was not ready, um, the, the skin on my hand started to peel. Hmm. Right. Um, I started to get like serious, like bad cotton ball mouth. But there's also a point where I need to be at the right level of, of performance anxiety in order to to get the best out of me. When the butterflies are, are in your stomach, when when you're feeling your heart start to race, I know I'm ready. I'm at my peak game. 
Have you ever had a um, a client or um, a guest on your on your show where you were like, man, I was on. Uh, I brought my A game to this guy and thought about how you felt just before that moment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you know, it was funny just before we spoke. I was feeling a little bit like, <laughs> you know, my energy level was sort of lower. And yeah, I was just sort of thinking, well, how would I prefer to feel? It's like, well, I'd like to be fascinated and um, powerful and um, curious. So yeah, I guess that's how I feel before yeah. a great interview. Uh-huh. Right. I think it's really important about how we how we connect with those around us and the not just the energy we give, but the energy we draw from those people. Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you. Well, let's see. So in your book, you, you mentioned five skills, and it sounds like we've hit a few of them. Positive thought, team building, grit, higher expectations, and focus. Are there any of these that you think we've covered too shallowly and we got to give a little bit more love to before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Well, I think the one that we haven't touched is this higher expectations one. And this is, I think this is really key about, um, you know, we talk about it from the Pygmalion effect is what we call it in the world of leadership or sport is which will people will rise to your minimum level of expectations. And I think this is really important for leaders that are out in the field is about how do you lead people to be excellent and confident and how can you influence them? Um, and one of the ways is about catching them when they're good because they'll raise, they'll raise your minimum level of expectations. And what I mean by that is we know that if you're critical, if you give negative feedback, hey, I need this presentation to look like this. Hey, this chart didn't have what I needed on it. Hey, I need you to do this, this, and this. That We know that we'll get the behavior we want. Mm-hmm. But typically, it erodes the relationship. Typically, it, it, it creates conflict. If we can instead forget about that, the negative things that people are doing, and instead focus on the team member might, that might be doing it right, meaning you're in a meeting, hey, folks, thanks for coming on time to this meeting. It helps us get started. Or somebody presented a report, hey, I love how this report was. Notice the font size is the way I want it. I love that the logo is here in the bottom left. Instead, what happens is you catch people when they're good. And what we've known and what we've seen in the research is that improvement exponentially improves over when we catch them when they're bad. In the world of psych, we call this the social learning theory is that people learn through observation. If we can focus on the the excellence, now what happens is instead of us tearing down a player over here who was really sour or bitter or, or angry because of our feedback, we've built up somebody else. And they feel great and aligned to you and really increase their loyalty and, and their willingness to follow you. And we've said somebody else over here is like, oh, I better pay attention. I want that same feedback. And the whole organization rises. Mm-hmm. Can you catch them when they're good? Oh, that's excellent. Thank you. Well, well, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, I think the last piece is just to remind people that this is a skill. The skill of self-confidence isn't about just sitting here and, 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 okay, I've tried it. I wrote this letter. I read it once. I didn't, it didn't work. Oh, I said my affirmation today and, I, and it didn't happen. Um, well, I tried praise and, and it still hasn't happened. You, we have to be willing to, to persist just like the mastery of any task in the workplace um, and, and give it an opportunity to grab hold. Mm-hmm. And so for the listeners that are out there, be patient with yourselves and be patient with the people that you're leading because good things will happen if you give it an opportunity to shine and you will see a cultural shift in the people and most importantly, or just as importantly, a cultural shift in yourself and how you approach leading. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, one of my favorites is um, 
it's the 19, it's an old Apple uh, commercial. Uh, I always attribute it to Steve Jobs, but I know it's somebody different. But it was after Steve Jobs had been kicked out of his company and he came back and they launched this commercial in the Super Bowl. And it was called Here's to the Crazy Ones. I don't know if you know it. It's mm-hmm. really a poem. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs and the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. And I'll fast forward to the last line, because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. I love it because it speaks to a higher purpose. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Being a psychologist, I I have a whole bunch. Um, But one of them is, um, is a study by Jacobson and Rosenthal. Jacobson and Rosenthal studied the Pygmalion effect in, um, in a New York high school. Um, and what they did was they brought some teachers and then they said, these teachers, hey, we've developed this late blooming acquisition test. It's an amazing test. It will tell of, of all your students who the best late bloomers are. And so, of course, the teacher said, yeah. And so they administered the test and these students in the back of the, of the class, the very back, the ones you would think would be the dumbest, most bonehead, because mm. that's where, you know, they sit. Or at least that's where I sat, but don't tell mm. anybody. They said, these students here scored the highest on the late blooming acquisition test. We're going to come back at the end of the year and see how our test works. So Jacobson and Rosenthal show up. And sure enough, at the end of the year, the teachers are excited. Ah, your late blooming, ac- this was amazing. It worked. It did everything it what, what it's supposed to do. But as you can imagine, the magic of it was there was no such thing as the late blooming acquisition test. It was a confederate. It was it was a ploy. Um, In fact, what happened was the teachers, because they expected more from these students, they called on them more. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask. They didn't take the dog ate my homework as an excuse. They didn't say, I don't know. Good enough. They didn't say, OK, you know how you avoid eye contact when you don't know the answer. By those teachers interacting differently with those students, those students exceeded their own expectations and rose to the expectations of the teachers. And this has been a key in my leadership, um, a key tool in my leadership toolbox. Mm, thank you. And how about a favorite book? Uh, well, one of my favorite books, and, and don't tell anybody because it's, uh, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's, it was Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. Oh, hey, there is more Tony Robbins references here. Yeah. Right. Have you read that one? I believe it is on my shelf. Yeah. I, when I was a teenager, Tony Robbins was who I wanted to be. Uh, fun yeah. fact. I was a weird kid. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what, what's something useful uh, from that book that uh, was impactful for you? You know, the time I read that book, I'd flunked out of school and I hadn't told my parents. And for me, what I, what I liked about it was it gave you the ownership and the control. It was about awakening the giant within. Stop blaming everybody else outside um, external reasons for why you're not succeeding. It's time for you to, to, to really take ownership and you have the ability to control your destiny, where you want to be, who you want to be, and what you want to do. And I, I remember taking that to heart and really just taking, taking my life right by the scruff of the, the collar and just deciding I was going to drive where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite tool, something you used to be awesome at your job? Well, I'm a big believer in surrounding myself with the right talent. And so for me, that tool is I'm really careful about who I choose and, and I really pay a p- particular attention about who I hire and how I hire. And you always talk about it, you know, it's like fire fast, hire slow. I, I don't think people think enough about building culture and, and these other things that when you're asking the questions around the workplace um, or in the interview process that will get at who do you want and do they fit 
because that fit is so important. They have to, th- that values alignment is mission critical. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite habit? Uh, I'm a morning person and I found this out by accident, but one of my favorite habits is getting up early to make sure I line my day up right. Um, that time be- before anybody gets up is so productive. That's and that's. I'm not part of the 5 a.m. club. I'm not mm. that, but I'm probably a 5:30, uh, 5:45 club. But the ability to set your day out to really think about what those three big buckets or four big bucket things are—that's the way you move your needle. Okay. And tell me, is there a particular nugget that uh, you share and you're known for? People quote it back to you often. Um, I think it's about getting away from the people who will tear you down. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important because you will start to believe them. And, and if, you, if you can't be really careful and mindful of who those people are, um, then you're setting yourself up for failure and they will undo all the good work you're doing for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Well, I would point them to, uh, you got this, um, launching soon is an Amazon book, but I would also point them to my website, uh, Dr. Ivan Joseph, coming soon. Mm-hmm. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, I guess, uh, Dr. Ivan Joseph. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I think one of the things is that I want to remind people that is um, you got to remember that if you don't think you can or if you don't believe in yourself, uh, nobody will. And I want to remind them that they've already achieved success. They're in a position right now where they've done a really nice job or they've been, a, they've been promoted. And so we already know that you're capable and competent. Just remind yourselves of that and keep reminding of yourselves of that when you go out into that next level job and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, Ivan, thanks so much for taking this time and I wish you lots of luck in, in all your adventures. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Pete. I really appreciate it. I really dug Ivan's quote there. You don't get to be excellent by focusing on all the mistakes and all the inadequacies that you have. And it resonates that all the snapping, the clapping, the popping, the rituals you see amongst athletes is just that, refocusing, dropping, letting the mistake go back to the past and reframing and, or resetting to get right back in the present moment, very handy, as opposed to beating yourself up for five minutes, five hours, five days, (laughs) which is, you know, it's not helping anybody. So great stuff from Ivan. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep571. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You got one of our favorite guests, Chris Bailey. I believe this is his third time. It's maybe the only three-timer guest on the show. He's got the website, A Life of Productivity, and he's got some really cool perspectives on productivity in this current challenging climate and how to keep on rocking. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.